0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, usually we have a little video to get your attention, but... Uh, this week, I have a video to get your attention, but I want you to actually watch the video. So uh, let me introduce myself first. My name is Jake Box. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm, the, I'm really glad that you're here. It's good to see you. Uh, we got some students trickling back in from Christmas break, and so it's really good to see you guys. Um, love having you all with us. Uh, this morning, we're going to dive into a very intriguing topic, all right, a very intriguing topic, and so let me, uh, to set it up, here's the video as promised.
2: The engines were at full power, and the aircraft climbed up to about 100, 110 feet off the ground, and then we weren't climbing anymore.
0: Very quickly knew that I was likely going to die.
2: I was looking down at an airplane that had crashed. Right then, it hit me.
3: I'm not my body. There's my body, but here's me. I've always been fascinated with these near-death experiences. And by near death, I don't mean like they almost got hit by a car. I mean like dead, dead, no heartbeat. In some cases, no brainwaves, and I'm talking 30 minutes, 90 minutes. At first, I was very skeptical of these, but I'll tell you, after studying over a thousand of these near-death experiences, it's changed my mind.
0: The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here.
2: I was seeing a lot of colors that I didn't have prior experience in knowing about. 3,000 shades of red, and I can see them all.
3: Blind people, when they have a near-death experience, see, they come back saying the same things. How do you put that together? A sense of peace that came down right beside me. An energy that was pure love. Much more real than I feel at this moment or any other time in my life. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life?
1: All right. I told you it's going to be intriguing. Uh, it's going to be an interesting morning. Uh, we're going to dive right into this topic and, and, and talk about, hey, what, what happens after we die? Like, is there life after this life, or do we just cease to exist, or is there's just nothingness, or is there a God? Is there heaven? I mean, these are these are big questions that we all have, right? I mean, I think everybody asks these types of questions at some point or another. We think about this kind of thing, except even though at the same time we don't like thinking about dying, right? We uh, rarely talk about that, even though there's really a high probability that's going to happen to all of us, you know. And so, uh, but. We got these questions, we don't like thinking about dying, but we have questions what happens after we die. It's kind of an interesting thing. There's an old joke that says, um, uh, these four guys are playing poker one night, and the first guy, or one of the guys says, uh, hey, what do you want people to say at your funeral? So one guy says, well, I want them to say that I was this great doctor that saved many lives. And uh, another guy says, well, I I want people to say that I was this uh, really devoted husband and a great father the third guy says, Really? That's what you guys want them to say? I want them to say at my funeral, Look, he's moving. But right? it's terrible. It's a terrible joke. <laughs> but <laughs> here's, here's the thing. How's this for a transition? Um, as stupid as that joke is, believe it or not, um, more and more people are saying, Look, He's moving after someone has been declared clinically dead. I don't know if you know this, but this, this is wild. I didn't know this stat until recently, but uh, the Gallup poll uh, estimates that 13 million Americans, that's one in every 25, have had what's classified as a near-death experience. 13 million Americans. Is that not wild? Um, there's a, and so a near-death experience is when there's no heartbeat, in many cases, there's, there's no brain waves, and, that, uh, but, and yet they are resuscitated by modern medicine. Now, just to give you a taste of what I'm talking about, I've got another video for you this morning. I'm going to do this a little bit. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a little interactive between the message and some videos. So watch, watch this and get a taste of what I'm talking about. <laughs>
4: Everything in my body started shutting down. According to the medical records, it was an hour and 45 minutes that I was not breathing or heart beating during that time frame.
0: I knew that I had been underwater already too long to still be alive. The people who resuscitated me would say I was underwater 30 minutes. They would say that I was dead.
2: The nine wheels of the driver's side of the truck just rolled over the car. So I was just really killed instantly, blunt force trauma. They pronounced me dead on the scene.
3: So how do we know these people were truly dead? Doctors, cardiologists, uh, oncologists have actually been able to look at medical records to show, yeah, these people were truly dead by all the ways that we would clinically talk about death.
2: As to how
4: long I was clinically dead without brain function or heart function, at least 30 minutes. Because of not having oxygen to my brain that long, I should not be able to function like I'm functioning because it didn't have any brain wave at that time.
2: That fact that the near-death experiences are occurring during that time that consciousness should be a blank slate is medically inexplicable. It should be
4: impossible for them to be remembering anything. You may say I didn't go to heaven, but you can't say I didn't die.
1: Yeah, that's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Now, as hinted by that last line in the video, uh, many people who have had a near-death experience come back claiming that they experienced something truly remarkable while they were clinically dead. And according to them, they didn't cease to exist, but instead they were still alive even though they had died. They experienced this life after this life. Now, um, that should uh, cause us, I think, to ask the question, which is, um, if you're like me, is um, what do you do with that? Right? What, do you do with, what do you do with people who are claiming, claim this and these kind of things? It's like, if you're like me, you're highly skeptical of it, right? I mean, if someone tells me that they uh, died and like went to heaven and came back, I'm not like, oh man, that's incredible. Tell me all about it. I'm like, All right, that's kind of all right. That's kind of weird. And like, how do I know if I could trust you? I mean, what do you have any proof? Like, did you get a certificate? Like, you know, it's just really weird. And and let me just let me just say, um, we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to be really clear up front that I do not advocate I advocate for, and in fact, I would say it's extremely unwise to base your concept. Of what life after this life is going to be like, or if it even exists, based off any one near-death experience or or any one person's story about that. Like, I think that that, in fact, I would even say, not even just one story, but even a few stories that you hear about. Like, don't base your views off of that. That I think that's extremely unwise. Um, I think it's wise to be skeptical about anyone's, uh, someone's near-death experience. However. This is the how, however. <laughs> I read a book a couple of years ago uh, that really began to mess with me on this topic. See, the, the book is called Imagine Heaven, and I brought it with me and then I didn't bring it up here. So, anyways, it, Imagine Heaven is a book written by a guy named John Burke, and he's a pastor here in Austin. In fact, uh, he's a friend of mine, which is really one of the <laughs> main reasons I picked up this book, is because I knew him and I wanted to see what he had to say on this. I don't usually read books like that, but I picked his book up and I began reading it. And, friends, I could tell you, I could not put the book down because in it, Burke looks at these common elements that show up again and again across not just a few, not just a dozen, not just a hundred, but thousands of near-death experiences. And in it, like again, he points out these common elements that not only provide a great deal of evidence that there is life after this life, but even more, he points out in this book how they line up with what the Bible says the afterlife will be like. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that, all right? So again, just to be clear, the purpose of this message is not to convince you of the credibility of any one near-death experience, but instead, what I want to do is let you know what researchers are finding as they study NDEs, or near-death experiences, across the globe, for it's truly a global phenomenon happening to, happening to people all over the world, different nations, religions, religions, cultures, all as a result of the advancement of modern medicine and technology. People are being resuscitated after they've been declared clinically dead. And so the reason I want you to hear this and hear what the researchers are saying and finding in this is because if you're skeptical, which I understand if you are, um, then I think you're going to see that there's some incredible evidence that there is life after life. And if you're a Christian, I think this will help deepen your belief and what the Bible says uh, about what life after this life will be like. So here's where we're going this morning. Uh, First, I want to help us consider the research regarding near-death experiences, and then we're going to consider these common threads that show up across the board and see how they compare to what the Bible says the afterlife's going to be like. All right, so... You with me? Is that are you intrigued? You're like, okay, I don't mind that I came to church this morning. This is, this is interesting, even if I disagree or whatever. Um, okay, so let's begin by looking at what the researchers say about near-death experiences. What, what's the research saying? Now, this surprised me. This might surprise you to learn that uh, there are over 900 articles that have been published in scholarly and scientific journals on this topic. 900 articles, scholarly, and that's a result of this massive amount of doctors and professors who've been studying this topic. Like, it's not a small field of study. People are really giving attention to this. For example, all right, uh, cardiologist Dr. Michael Sabum studied near-death experiences for five years with the initial goal of trying to prove there was some kind of scientific explanation that would explain away what these people were claiming to have experienced, However, as a result of his research, he became convinced that, hear this, near-death experiences were scientifically credible, and he ended up publishing his extensive five-year report in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the U.S. Now, when I heard, when I heard that, I thought, okay. What in the world would cause him to come to the conclusion that NDEs are scientifically credible, right? I mean, that sounds like a stretch. Like, based on what evidence would you say it's scientifically credible? Well, here's here's what Dr. Sabin says about his research. Let me quote him. He says, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience until Pete Morton, who was one of his patients, told me he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest and had watched the resuscitation. And when I asked him to tell me what exactly he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy that I could have later used the tape to teach physicians. Now, as Dr. Salem goes on to say uh, these people, meaning people who claim to have an NDE, uh, saw details of their resuscitation that they could not otherwise have seen. For example, one patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open heart surgery. In many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and with hospital staff. See, that's why he came to the conclusion that these were scientifically credible for what they said they experienced while they were clinically dead could be verified by medical records and eyewitness testimony of hospital staff now i don't know about you but that's that's intriguing to me all right let me give you another another story this story blows my mind okay uh, I've, i've told this story like 10 times this week already um In one of Europe's most prestigious medical journals, The Lancet, an article was published about a patient who had experienced cardiac arrest and was brought to a Holland hospital not breathing. While he arrived at the hospital, the medical staff uh, placed a tube in the patient's airways. And when they did, in order to ventilate him, and when they did, they realized he had upper dentures. And so one of the nurses removed his upper upper dentures and stuck it in a a crash cart drawer in the middle of the rush to try to get this guy to start breathing again. The, uh, the medical staff was eventually able to resuscitate him, but he was, in, he was comatose. And so he, in a, for a whole week, he, he, he you know, didn't regain consciousness. During that time, they moved him to another wing in the hospital. Uh, and then a week later, he comes to. And when he comes to, one of the uh, nurses that you know, treated him when he first came in uh, um, shows up to check on him. And he says, Oh, she's the nurse who knows where my dentures are. And she says, wait, wait, what do you what? And he, according to the article, this this is what he says. He says, Yes, you were there when I was brought into the hospital, which, you know, cardiac arrest and not breathing. Oh. You were there when you brought into the hospital and you took my dentures out of my mouth and you put them in the sliding drawer of the cart that had all the bottles on it. So the patient claimed, and then the patient claimed that he had had this outer body experience during this time. and He watched the whole procedure from this vantage point of the ceiling, and he saw all that take place. And so these nurses were in the room. They heard him say this. They go to that wing. They go to that room the right where he said that his dentures would be. They open up the top drawer of this crash cart, and lo and behold, they're his dentures. Wild, right? I mean, like... That's weird. Um, see, that, that, that's what's convinced so many skeptical doctors of the credibility of near-death experiences. It's these this verifiable details uh, where these clinically dead people describe and that they could not possibly have seen unless they were observed from another vantage point outside of their lifeless bodies. J.M. Holden, uh, professor of psychology, studied 93 NDE patients who claimed to make verifiable observations while out of their physical bodies. Here's what he's found. I think I've got the quote up here. He says, out of, these, uh, out of these out-of-body perceptions, 92% were completely accurate. 6% contained some error, and only 1% were completely erroneous. 93 patients, 90. completely accurate with what they said they saw while they were clinically dead. Okay, what in the world? Um, So a little bit more information on this. So these articles and these prestigious uh, scientific journals caused the radiation oncologist Dr. Jeff Long, who you saw in that second video I showed you a second ago, um, caused him to begin his own research on near-death experiences. And when he began his research, his intentions were to disprove the NDE accounts. And so he studied, hear this, over 4,500 documented cases. And as a result of his research, he came to this conclusion. I have this quote up here too. It says this, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of near-death experiences, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion, NDE's provides such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. Okay, now, I don't want you to miss all of this, right? I am not am throwing a lot at you right here, but... Oh, if there is nothing after this life, then when you die, your consciousness should cease. If there's nothing after you're dead, you're dead. But instead... There are reports after reports after reports, times a thousand and a thousand and th- of people being pronounced clinically dead who verifiably see things that happen after they die. And that's wild. I mean, that, that's intriguing. So, here's what this personally makes me do, and I'm going to tell you this because this is what we're going to do with the rest of our message, right? So, personally, when I hear that information, I want to do two things. First, it makes me want to learn more about what the people who claim to have had a near-death experience, what they say they actually experienced. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the uh, extremely intriguing results of all of the NDE research is that they've observed these common elements that show up again and again, regardless of age or what part of the world they're from or their religion, or religious background or their or their culture. And so specifically when I hear these stories it makes me want to think okay I don't you know I want to put much stock at all into just one story. But given the expansive research on this I'd be interested to know what are these common threads that seem to show up again and again and again across the board from these stories. And then the second thing that all this makes me want to do is that as a Christian who believes that the Bible is trustworthy and true and the inspired Word of God. It makes me want to know, okay, what does what these people say they experienced, does it line up with what Scripture says the afterlife will be like? Like, does it line up? How does it line up? Does it contradict? Like, I, I would want to know that. I want to know that. So that's where we're going to go the rest of this morning. We're going to look at these common elements, and we're going to see, like, do they line up or how do they line up with What Scripture says the life after this life is going to be like. Now, let me make a quick disclaimer here, okay? Before I dive into this, I just want to be up front. Not all near-death experiences are the same, right? I'm not at all claiming that. None of the research shows that, right? But uh, they do, as I said, show that there are these common elements But uh, not all of them have even all of the common elements, okay? Uh, Now you think, well, why why would that be? Well, there's a number of explanations for this. One of them is being that uh, though people who have a near-death experience claim uh, that uh, their experience was incredibly lucid and vivid, they have a hard time talking about it. And one of the reasons they'll say they have a hard time talking about it is, and this sounds weird, right? But they'll say... They, they struggle interpreting it in earthly language. I was like, and that, yeah, that's why I'm so skeptical about this. Like, I mean, that's a weird statement, right? But they said, okay, it, it's just kind of beyond this dimension. They have a hard time struggling. Like if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you kind of get an idea of what that's like, right? And so, um, so that's one reason. It's up for interpretation, and they have a hard time describing it. So maybe that's why it's a little bit weird. The second, or not all of them carry the exact same stuff, The second reason is why not not all that not all of near death experiences are the same is because, um, a lot of them have common elements at the very beginning, but then they're like they're different lengths of time. They experience different things during it, and so though some will have more up front, afterwards they change, and sometimes they're resuscitated early, and perhaps that. Uh, you know, matters, or sometimes just things don't move as fast for them as someone else. And so that's a part of why the stories are not the same. And there are other reasons too, but like, I want to be upfront, that happens. However, near-death experiences do have these really strong common themes throughout it. And so let me just give you an example of what those themes are, okay? Um, let me list them off, and then we'll dive into a few of them. The first is that they describe being out of their body but in a new body. Out of their body but in a new body. The second is they experience beauty in new dimensions often describing the same kind of beautiful things. The third is that they describe being welcomed by deceased family and friends. Fourth, they describe encountering a being of light and love. And fifth, they describe being given a life review. Now, I don't have time to, to really unpack all of these, but let me, uh, let me just begin to highlight a few. And let's begin with the first one. Uh, they, uh, they describe being out of the body but in a new body. Okay, so people who have a near-death, ex- near-death experience uh, describe leaving their old body but not leaving it into unconsciousness or oblivion or some other ethereal existence but instead, they describe it as becoming more alive than they have ever felt, in a body that is different and better than anything you, you could possibly imagine. For example, Mark Besterman, a bank president who was clinically who clinically died in a hospital, described it this way. He said, "I love this." He said, "My old geezer body felt young and strong and fantastic. The aches and pains and limitations of my age were just gone." I felt like a teenager again, only better. I mean, if you're if you're Justin Christopher and you hear that, you gotta love that, right? <laughs> love you, Justin. Um, now hear this. Uh, people who have a near-death experience don't describe being less themselves, but more themselves than ever before. To give you a taste of this, I got another video for you. Here, let's play this.
0: I was in this experience for what felt to me like many, many, many hours. But in fact, the entire thing was probably 30 minutes.
2: My eyes were obviously completely enhanced, completely strengthened.
4: It seemed like all my senses took on the other attributes of the senses. So even though I could hear
3: it, it seemed like I could also see it with my hearing. People talk about how their experience on the other side is more lucid more aware, more conscious, not just five senses. Some describe it as having 50 senses. It's fully alive like we've never imagined. It's as though somebody put a film over what we see here, and then a film was removed, and
2: all of a sudden the brilliance is exposed. In my survey, 74.4% reported heightened senses. They were actually able to see much more clearly than in earthly life. Even people with severely impaired vision or blindness were able to see with perfect vision in their near-death experience. I could
0: see something infinitely far away as if it was right in front of me. I could see the trees and the flowers and I could see every detail. I could see every individual blade of
2: grass. In heaven we can hear it all, take in it all just like we can all the sights of heaven, the aromas of heaven, which are sweet and overwhelming. It's a buffet for the senses. It's a sensory explosion.
1: Okay, now let me ask, how, how does that compare to what the Bible says will happen after we die? Well, listen to uh, what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44. He says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, meaning that it's expiring, it's spoiling. I mean, we all experience that, right? It says, but it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And so this Tells us right here that we will be given a spiritual body, which means uh, that we don't just become spirits, but we have a body. It's just a spiritual body. And a spiritual body is both like this body and unlike this body. It's like this body in this way it's a body. <laughs> and it's unlike this body in that the spiritual body is uh, sown in power, it is imperishable, and it's spiritual. And this body is natural, and it's spoiling, and it's weak. Now, I don't know about y'all, but um, that kind of sounds like what they're describing there, right? I mean, if you ever put words to it, like, is that a spiritual body? Is it a body? They say, okay, out of body, a new body, but they have these really enhanced senses, and like it's, they feel more alive than they ever felt. It's pretty fascinating. Okay, let me take another element that gets uh, mentioned quite often. Um, in a near-death experience, and that is the experience of beauty and new dimensions. So over and over again, people who have uh, had a near-death experience talk about going to a place that is more beautiful than anything they have ever seen. And what's really interesting is, what, uh, is when they describe this place, you heard it on this last video, they describe things like grass and trees and birds and mountains and people and a city. And they say everything in this place shines with a beautiful light. But they say that light doesn't shine on everything, but from everything. That's interesting, isn't it? Like everything is alive, more alive than anything they've ever experienced on earth. Again, I can't do it justice, so i got one more. This is the last video for you this morning, but one more video. Watch this.
4: Things were more beautiful than I could ever imagine. It was past anything that I would believe that it would be like.
1: The colors
0: were so alive that the most beautiful day on earth is just a reflection of those colors.
2: The greens were greener, the yellows, the golds, the blues, everything reminded me that earth is a reflection of heaven, but heaven is perfection.
3: So one of the commonalities of near-death experiences is they experience beauty in new dimensions of time and space. Flowers, trees, mountains, forests, in colors more vibrant than we can imagine. And they are not limited in their experience of beauty like we are here. About 52% of people having a near-death experience describe beauty in this
4: heavenly realm that is beyond anything on earth, things that are absolutely spectacular It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there, the flowers were glad I was there, the water was glad I was there. Everything was alive, there was nothing dead, and everything was intelligent.
0: Everything was far more intense. The colors, the aromas, the flowers were such that I felt that I could not only see them, but I understood them.
2: Gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives, but it's beyond words.
1: And how does that compare with what Scripture says the afterlife will be like? Well, I wanted to take you to Romans chapter 8, 19 through 22. And this, this, this really interesting passage where uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about how uh, as a result of the, the curse, as a result of sin and the brokenness of this world, all of creation is, is like, uh, well, li- listen to this. He says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, this language, people wrestle with this because it's like, it's as if Paul's saying like, Everything is supposed to be way more alive than it is. And that it, this, all of creation is like, filling, like groaning under this curse. It's waiting for the day when it's going to be set free and it's going to be more alive than ever. Now, that sounds like what they're describing, does it not? Or here's another passage. Revelation 21, 1 and 2, Apostle John gets a glimpse into heaven. And here's what he describes, kind of climactic part. He says, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming, out, coming down out, out of heaven from God. Now, these are interesting descriptions, right? Uh, let me ask you a question. Okay, when someone tells you that they bought a new car, do you picture some kind of abstract, weird thing that you're like, or do you like, I don't even understand. What is this concept of new car? Can't wait to see it. Or do you think, no, that that means it's a car. It's just new and better. Well, (laughs) that's what we think, right? Because that's what it is. Well, when the Bible uses these terms to describe the the afterlife, the, the new heavens and new earth, Sometimes we just get this like, really abstract, like, oh, I don't even know what that's going to be like. No, no, it's going to be like earth. It's a new earth. It's like earth, except new and, and better. And in this case, perfected. It, it's the place we were always meant to be. It's the place where everything is as it is supposed to be. Um, when Most people, I think, imagine heaven. I find they imagine something less real less tangible, you know, kind of fuzzy, cloudy, boring. I remember seeing the, the Far Side cartoon when I was younger and thinking, I hope this is not what heaven is like, you know, wish I had brought a magazine. You know, it's like, man, that looks terrible, right? But a lot of people, that, that, that is what we think of when we think about what life after this life is going to be like. It's either that or we just picture a never-ending worship service, right? And I think, I'm a pastor and that sounds horrible to me, you know? It's like, come on, can we do something else? Um, but the truth is, friends, hear this: it's this life that gets boring and frustrated, frustrating. This is the broken place. For this world is but a shadow of the world to come, And that sounds a lot like what these people are experiencing. Okay, the last common element of near-death experiences I'm going to have time to get into this morning is uh, the encounter with a being of light and love. Y'all knew I was going to speak on that one, right? It's it's, it's kind of queued up for that. But listen to this. Here's what uh, Dr. George Ritchie, a psychiatrist of the University of Virginia, who died of pneumonia and has the death certificate to prove it. How wild is that? Here's what he says, this doctor. He says, uh, he talks about his experience. He first talks about realizing he was looking at his lifeless body. And then a light came into the room. And here's how he describes it. He says, It was impossibly bright. It was like a million welder's lamps. I thought, I'm glad I don't have physical eyes at this moment because this light would destroy the retina in a tenth of a second. No, I corrected myself. Not the light. He. He would be too bright to look at. For now I saw that it was not a light, but a man who had entered the room, or rather a man made out of light. And he goes on to talk about how he knew it was Jesus, the Jesus that he learned about growing up in Sunday school, but that he thought as a gentle, meek, and kind of weakling. But he says, "To quote him again, this person was a power was power itself, fused together with an unconditional love that was that uh, overwhelmed me, an astonishing love, a love beyond my wild wildest imagining." What's really amazing is that people all around the globe consistently describe this being of light who they recognize eventually to be God. In addition, they describe this being of light to be the source of love. In fact, almost here this two-thirds, about 66% of near-death experiences include an encounter with this being of uh, light and love, or this God, of light and love. Now, I think it's fascinating that those are the two words that are used over and over and over again in these experiences. Because listen to how the Bible describes God. First John chapter 1, verse 5. But this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you: God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Later in the same book, Apostle John writes this: 1 John 4, verse 8 and 9. Whoever does not love Does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. You see, friends, the Bible describes God, and there are a lot more. I could go to a lot more passages, I don't have time for it, but over and over again, God is described as a God of light, consuming fire, inapproachable light, and a God of love. A God of love that that expresses his love. In, in the most incredible way, by sending Jesus to come and share his love and invite us into a relationship with God, which he made possible by dying as the payment for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God and have life in him. Now, let me uh, get to a question maybe some of y'all are having, right? Because it sounds like all of these people who experience a near death, you know, have a near-death experience uh, have a really positive experience. And so uh, we hear that and we might think, man, that sounds great. I, I, I love it if everyone just you know, gets to die and go to heaven, if that's what's happening, right? But, but you might wonder, like, is, is that what the Bible actually teaches? Like, what about the whole concept of hell? Perhaps you have that question. Well, uh, let me address that in two ways. First, if your question is, man, it sounds like everyone seems to be with God or the vast majority seem to go be with God. Why, why would that be the case? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, we're told that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Meaning that every person will see Jesus. In fact, Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11 says this: every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which means, according to the Bible, there's coming a day. When every person in the globe will stand, or in this case, kneel in the presence of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that everyone will spend eternity with him. For God is very clear in Scripture that uh, he so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Which leads me to the second thing. And that is that not all near-death experiences are positive. In fact, about 25% of all near-death experiences are hellish in nature. And the three words that are most often used to describe what they experience are darkness, heat, and torment. Which are the three words used in the Bible to describe hell. And like I've read some of those stories and they're extremely troubling. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to give this message today. For you see, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we are told that God is patient with us because he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and be with him forever. And his great love... And in his great grace, he has given us his word, the Bible, to tell us that there is life after this life and that we can have eternal life through Jesus. On top of that, maybe, and again, I'll say just maybe, he's also in recent days through the advancement of modern technology and medicine given us through his love and grace uh, further evidence that what he has revealed in his word is true. And so my hope is that if you're a Christian, meaning you've placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, the death, on your behalf to reconcile you to God then my hope is all of this that we've been talking about this morning will deepen your confidence in the life to come, that the life to come is going to be better than you can imagine. you're going to get to spend eternity with God, the God of light and love, in a place that is more alive and more beautiful than you can dream up in a body that is better than you dare hope for. I hope you're encouraged by that. And if you came this morning and you're unsure of what you believe, or you don't believe, or you're trying to figure out what you believe, my hope is that you will choose this day to place your trust, your faith in Jesus the one who loves you so much that he died to heal your brokenness and the brokenness of this world so that you could be reconciled to God, this God of love and light forever. In a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to make uh, that decision. Um, And I really want to encourage you not to put it off because uh, God loves you and he wants to be with you. And you have an opportunity to choose to begin a relation with him today through faith. Now, um, one other thing I want to say on this is that if you're here today and you're struggling with depression, and all this talk about how awesome heaven's going to be is unhelpful for you. I I just want you to hear, um, God has a purpose for your life. He created you for a reason. In fact, in a lot of these near-death experiences, what people say is having encountered this God of love and light, they want to stay with him, but he sends them back because he says, I'm not done with you. I still have a plan for you. And see, this God of love and light created you, and you're his workmanship, and you have a, he has a purpose for you. I don't have time to get into the life review stuff, but man, it's fascinating. People sit with God, they see their whole life played out, and they see the ripple effects of acts of kindness and love, how it affected this person and infected this person and infected this person. Heaven's going to be awesome, but don't speed up getting there. Yeah, God has a purpose for you here, okay? Now, oh. Those are some big reasons why I'm going to give this message today. But I have one more reason that I, 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 uh, for this. And let me just say, okay, this topic, here, here's the other reason I wanted to talk on this. This topic, I think that this topic is something that our city, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, I think is a topic that they're intrigued with. And so I think we should be talking to them about this as well. Um, and so today, I'm going to uh, t- tell you about something we're going to do today. And then I'm going to tell you about something we're going to do this spring. And then I'm going to wrap up, okay? So uh, first today, we're going to give everyone here a copy of this book. And I should have brought the book up here with me too, but I, I, I didn't. Uh, now, the Imagine Heaven book is 300-something pages long. It's really long. It's awesome read. It's really long. Uh, but huh. So we've shrunk that. The, church, the churches that also have sh- worked together to shrink that book down to just the best parts of it, to 70 pages of a miniature book. That takes about 60 to 90 minutes to read, depending on how fast you read or if you skim. Um, And we're going to give everyone a copy of that and so so that you can continue to interact with this and chew on this, because I know I've given you a a lot to chew on. And then after that, uh, and so here's what I want to ask you to do on that. First, I want to ask you to read that book. In fact, today, here's my specific ask. Read the first 10 pages before you go to bed tonight. If you read the first 10 pages before you go to bed tonight, you'll want to read all of it. I'm pretty sure, okay? So do that. Please take the book, read the first 10 pages before you go to bed tonight. And then after you finish reading the book, here's what I want to ask. I want to ask that you give it to a friend that you've been praying for. Did you give it to him and you just say this. I just read a book and it's crazy. And I would love to see I'd love for you to read it so we can talk about what's in here cuz I I don't even know what I think of it, but it's wild. Let's talk. Have that conversation. People will read it, and you will get to have spiritual conversations about what happens after this life. It'll be awesome. That's why I asked for today. So during announcements, we're going to pass out the book to everybody. Read it. Read the first 10 pages today. After you read it, give it to a friend and cue up a conversation. Can you do that? Okay, I'm going to hold you to it. I'm just going to pretend that you all should, you all said yes. All right, now that's what we're going to do today. The second thing we're going to do This spring, I want you to know about is this, Um, 150 to 200, right now it's definitely 150, and I think it's going to probably grow to over 200 churches in Austin, are working together to start a spiritual conversation in our city on this topic over this spring. As you saw in these videos, we're we're calling it, What's After ATX? And in it, uh, these churches, all these churches, and we're going to be a part of it, uh, we're, we're going to encourage each other to, to engage our city with this. And so there's going to be a media blitz. It's going to start February 15th, and we're going to start raising the question, what happens after this life? What happens after this life? All the way building up to Easter. And on Easter, we're going to do a four-week ser- sermon series on this topic, and we're going to do groups, and we're going to encourage you to invite neighbors over and talk about this. And I think that here's what I think can happen. I literally think, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not just like picking a random number, with 150 to 200 churches in Austin engaged in this, I really think that we can have a million spiritual conversations with people in our city. And that as a church, we talk about giving the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And you think, how in the world can that happen? This, it could happen. It literally could happen this spring. And I think that through this, the Spirit of God is at work, and I think he's going to draw tens of thousands of people into a life-changing, eternally eternity-changing relationship with Him. And I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'm really excited about it. And we're going to get to be a part of it. Because this is what God, the God of light, is doing to show the way to how to be reconciled to Him by His love displayed in Jesus. So this spring, that's what we're going to do. And I, I want you to get ready. So read the book, and let's talk about it. Because it's weird, but it's intriguing and there might be something here. We're going to end by this morning by taking communion. We do this every Sunday uh, as a way to remember that Jesus is death on our behalf. He died for us uh, to make the way for us to be with God. Our God of love and light died for us. His body broken, his blood spilled. Let's remember that this morning as we take communion, to celebrate that he's made the way for us to be with him forever. And, then, uh, and so if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to come to the tables and take communion in the front or in the back. If you have never believed this, or you're not, you're still on the fence, I just, again, as I said earlier, I want to give you an opportunity to believe it right now. And I really want to encourage you to take, take this moment and to place your trust in Christ. And if you do, We'd love for you to come and celebrate communion too because the communion table is open to anyone here who believes what we're remembering when we take communion. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to voice your trust in God God, just right now silently between you and him. You can use your own words, or if you're not sure what to say, then I'll pray a prayer and you can just repeat to me, repeat to God silently what I say. But make this the day that your hope is in in Christ and your promise is eternity with him in this incredible place that the Bible tells us about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is my Savior who died for me to heal my brokenness and forgive my sins. I believe he rose again to make the way for me to live forever with you. My trust is in him. Thank you for loving me this much. My God of light and love. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.